0: We don't wait until we're ready for someone to tell us we're good enough. We take what we want and we anoint ourselves. Get ready to earn, own, and unapologetically rock your happiness every single day. Are you with me? Here we go. Welcome back to the Earn Your Happy Podcast. And you guys, if you are feeling isolated, if you're feeling like you don't have a tribe of women, like-minded people to really help you transcend from where you are right now into the person that you know you are being called to be, or maybe you're getting that soul calling and you're not quite answering it yet and it's turning more into a scream and it's starting to make you feel even more awful than the thought of facing the fear around doing that actual thing. If you're in any of these positions, you have to join me this year at The Bliss Project. It is March 2nd through the 4th in Newport Beach, California, and it is going to be a life-changing weekend. If you've been wanting to bust through your fears and really meet a like-minded tribe of people, this is exactly where you must be. If you're feeling called to this, I want you to go check it out at theblissproject.info right now. It's also in the show notes. And who is this event for? You guys, I really want to get clear on if you're feeling called to it, I want to make sure that you know what is going to go on there. So if you have always had a desire to do something big, but you've always been afraid to follow through, if you feel like you don't have the tools or the expertise to take the next step, if you wish you had that tribe of supportive people, if you're ready to take that next step into the next level, but you have no idea what that's even supposed to look like, or if you just want to feel more fully alive each day. And this is absolutely for you if you want a deeper connection and understanding in your relationships, if you want to become more fulfilled in your own job that you have right now and in daily tasks, if you want to know the true you desires of your soul. And if you're ready to enjoy the journey just as much as the destination. And truly, if you are feeling called to expand your spiritual connection, we're going to be doing some incredible exercises, meditations. We have some awesome teachers who are going to come in and really give you the space to understand what that feels like for you. Because for everyone, it's so different. But to be able to do it together uh, makes you feel even more connected than you've ever felt before. So if you're interested in meditation, if you want to create a solid foundation for all of your goals and dreams to be built on, or if you just need a mental reset, a confidence booster, and to really own your own personal power, you guys, this is the place that you want to be. So there are still some tickets left, but they sell out fast. You guys in this year will be the best bliss project that we've ever done. We have a really amazing team working on it. And we're adding so many more things than we have ever done in prior years, because I know that when I get the opportunity to put epic women into a room. I want magical things there so that you guys can truly have the tools to create your own amazing transformation and experiences. And you guys, what happens there is nothing short of miraculous. So if you're ready to create your transformation, if you're ready to step in, if you're ready to have your tribe, this is where you want to be. And I hope that you join us and that I get to meet you and hug you and see you there. So theblissproject.info. Thank you guys so much for tuning in today. I think you are going to love today's guest, Mark Devine. I was also able to be on his incredible Unbeatable Mind podcast, which we have linked to the show notes. And I really enjoyed my conversation with him so much that I wanted to have him on my show as well. So Mark is from upstate New York, and he did his formal undergraduate education at Colgate University. And four years later, with an MBA from NYU Stern School of Business, and his brief. he left behind the suit to pursue his inner vision to become a Navy SEAL officer. So after leaving active duty in 1997, Mark started his second business career as an entrepreneur. And Mark's business career was briefly interrupted by a stint as a professor of leadership at the University of San Diego. And then in 2007, he launched his CrossFit affiliate and now internationally known as his Seal Fit program which provides transformational personal and team training experiences. So this is something that I actually want to do. So the training utilizes as Uh, an integrated warrior development model he developed called Unbeatable Mind. And it draws from his 20 years as a SEAL and business leader, 25 years as a martial artist, and 15 years as a yoga practitioner. He now hosts a highly rated podcast that I was able to be on, The Unbeatable Mind. And SEAL Fit and Unbeatable Mind are uniquely effective in elevating clients to a higher level of operating, thinking, and leading. And it really does encompass the full spectrum of the human experience, body, mind, spirit, and self, team, and organization. And Mark advises and trains a diverse group of clients through his Unbeatable Mind and SealFit programs, including Olympic medalists, CEOs, Super Bowl champions, and other professional athletes. He also is a New York Times bestselling author, and he wrote The Way of the Seal, think like an elite warrior to lead and succeed. And he also wrote Unbeatable Mind, Forge Resiliency resiliency and Mental Toughness to succeed at an elite level. You guys, he is so incredible and elevated in the way that he thinks there are so many takeaways in this podcast that we can just even even if that seems intimidating to you. There are so many beautiful, tiny takeaways and shifts that will really help you get to that next level and phase in your life. So we'll see. Maybe someday we'll all meet at one of his uh, incredible leadership academies. (laughs) And you guys, I'm really excited for you to tune in and listen to this podcast. So let's get started. Mark, I'm so excited to have you on the show today. Thank you so much for coming on.
1: Laurie, thanks for having me. Super cool.
0: I am so excited that I get to interview you now because I got to be on your awesome podcast, which is Mm -hmm. the Unbeatable Mind podcast. Uh, So I really love to be able to chat with you and get to learn about everything you uh, do now and your background. So if you could, with my audience, if they're not familiar yet, if you could just share kind of what your story is and how you started doing what you are doing now and what that is.
1: You bet. I'll try to keep it short, so we don't go down too many rabbit holes. I um, love rabbit
0: holes, though. I know <laughs> they they are a lot of fun. Sometimes.
1: <laughs> so yeah, I'm um I, I'm a former Navy SEAL, retired commander. Uh, spent 20 years in the SEAL teams, uh, 10 of it active, 10 reserves. That doesn't really matter to anybody, but um it was important to me only because I I was able to get into business and entrepreneurship in my my you know, reserve years when I wasn't, you know, running and gunning. But what's, um, before I get into that, what's interesting to most people is that the SEALs were my second career. Mm. I actually had a career as a CPA mm. prior to that. Mm. So, you know, I'm from upstate New York, a small town, upstate New York, went to Colgate University. When I went, um, followed, uh, my, you know, kind of like tribe out of Colgate down to Manhattan where most of my peers were going to work. Um, and uh, I took a job with Coopers and Lybrand. They sent me to NYU to get my MBA in finance, and I found myself as an auditor. Mm. Woo, what fun. Mm. So, <laughs>
0: <laughs> How long did so, it take you to realize that wasn't,
1: uh, wasn't it? About, about a year. You know, okay. I was able – I'm very task-oriented, probably like you and a lot of your listeners. So, so while I was getting my MBA, I also had the great joy of, of focusing on my CPA, certified public accountancy exams, which is kind of like your bar exams. And so, you know, all this kept me super uber task focused, getting my MBA, getting my CPA. I also was a martial artist, so I was working on my first black belt at the time. Ironically, I got my MBA, CPA, and black belt certificates all in the same month, October Mm -hmm. of 1989. Oh, my God. Yeah, I know. Isn't that cool? In Mm -hmm. November, I was on a trained officer candidate school, and I was leaving the whole thing behind. Wow. Yes. You know, there was a process of uncovering or discovery that I went through primarily as a result of my martial arts training mm-hmm. and a Zen practice that I had taken up that um really kind of cracked me open and, and helped me see that I was um kind of a misfit in that career. And I wanted to do something much more adventurous, much more aligned with kind of what I saw as a growing um, ethos as a warrior and a leader. And so that led me into the SEAL teams and and then um, to where I am today, which I'm sure we'll, we'll talk more about today, because uh, what I do today is, is obviously connected to all of this. And, you know, mm-hmm. my past past has brought me to the present.
0: Mm-hmm. So I want to know more about your you said was it a Zen practice? Is that what you said?
1: Mm-hmm. OK, yeah, so, so I-
0: what led you to that in the first place?
1: I was athletic as heck when I was a kid. You know, I, I grew up running around the mountains at the Adirondacks and I swam competitively in high school and Colgate University. I was a triathlete, competitive triathlete. And um, I just loved athletics and organized uh, athletics at that, especially endurance sports. So all of a sudden, you know, now fast forward, I'm, I'm in Manhattan getting my MBA at night, I might add, working full time during the day. And I'm, you know, I'm, I'm like trying to you know, eke out some sort of physical training regimen that doesn't have me slide into oblivion. And one day I was walking past, and that's hard as you can imagine, Mm -hmm. right? Especially in a place like Manhattan. So I was running every morning and I was going to the gym at lunchtime, but it it still wasn't enough. It lacked structure. It lacked kind of any kind of real goal orientation or or developmental aspects, meaning I, I didn't feel like it was really helping me grow to be a better person. It was just like marking time. And so um, one day I was walking down 23rd Street in New York and I walked past a, um, a dojo, really a martial arts studio, but it wasn't your typical small little, you know, corner of the, of the, um, you know, the shopping center type dojo. It was, yeah. it was massive. It was on the second and third floor of this building. You know, it was like 20,000 square feet, beautiful wooden floors, and it was the headquarters of the uh, world Sado Karate, Seido, and in when I walked in the door, there was the founder and Grand Master teaching a class. His name was Tadashi Nakamura. I mean, it's classic. It's just like Karate Kid, <laughs> and um, he became my first mentor. I mean, literally signed up on the spot and I started training with him. And what I realized probably a year into it is that Nakamura was actually a Zen master. Masquerading as a karate instructor. Mm. Don't get me wrong. He was a phenomenal Karateka. Kur- he was 10th degree black belt founder of this whole system But his primary interest was in teaching the science of mental development through mm. Zen through Zen practice And so we, we meditate and so of course Zen has meditation involved various forms of meditation and you know the introductory practice I don't think I ever got really beyond that because it, you know, we do that for years Mm. Anyways, so I really, really gravitated toward that. I just loved this idea that we would sit in silence and practice developing our mind. I was like, how cool is that in 1985 to be able to do that? Mm. And as you are aware, and as now science is completely proving, I mean, especially for me at, at a 20-year-old, 21-year-old kid where my brain was still developing, it literally sent my brain development off in an entirely new direction. I mean, I was just stimulating all sorts of pathways and opening up areas of my mind that had never been touched before. And I was, you know, a guy who was a a college graduate and and a super competitive athlete. And it was the meditation that really, really transformed me. So that transformative process I describe a lot in my book, Unbeatable Mind, but really kind of tapped into my intuition and my insight and my gut instincts. And, and I was able to really begin to see, you know, with a different part of my mind, what was truth and what was reality. And, Mm -hmm. you know, the patterns of my life that had led me to live my core story. And that core story was disempowering. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the, the belief systems and the dialogue of my family of origin, my parents and my siblings was disempowering. And so I had to, And, and also everything that led me to be a CPA was not my true self. It was this core story that was built up around my family's beliefs and the, you know, probably multi-generational. And Mm. so the Zen practice allowed me to kind of look at all that and to then dissect it and to analyze it and to become self-aware of what those patterns were. And then to, you know, to be able to select what I wanted to keep and discard what wasn't going to be useful for my future.
0: Mm. It's so interesting because I look at you now and it's kind of like you are so disciplined and everything is basically built on this foundation of empowering thoughts and empowerment and really, uh, getting to know yourself. So what were the core beliefs? Because I'm pretty sure there's a lot of people listening who, um, you know, (laughs) it's hard to even look at you and think that's what you came from. So what were, um, summarize some of those core beliefs of your family?
1: Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, and that, that's funny you say that because the transformation, you know, started when I was 21 and then the SEALs and the training of the SEALs and the mindset of the SEALs for over 20 years, you know, mm-hmm. just layer, layer, layer on. So, you know, to say that I'm a different person today than I was back then is an understatement. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I wasn't any different than most of your listeners. I grew up in a super small town and, you know, literally like 500 people in my town. And
0: Okay. Where was that?
1: Upstate New York.
0: Okay. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: And then in my family, you know, God bless we were very volatile. You know, my my father was, a, you know, like I love him to death, but joy, you know, he was very <laughs> quick to anger. Mm. Um, you know, I have an image, you know, of him, you know, breaking a plate over my mom's head mm. once. That wasn't very pleasing to watch. Yeah. You know what I mean? It, it, it sent me into a little bit of tailspin. Um, there was a lot, you know, just disempowering beliefs around money, even though we weren't lacking, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But we, my father grew, you know, was basically took over the family business when he was 30. The family business had been around since 1890 and is still around today. My my brothers run it, you know, to this day. And so we were very much kind of like, you know, business is the way, you know, there's not really any other careers that, you know, could rival it. Maybe being a college professor, you know, Mm. would be okay, but Mm. not, you know, generally speaking, academics wasn't great. And, uh, blue collar work wasn't great. And military wasn't even discussed. It was like, you know, unless you have someone say, go to jail or go to the army, you don't go. And that's exactly what happened to my father, actually. (laughs) You know what Mm. I mean? And so, um, going into business was really the only option. So that was one that was kind of like the the career path laid out for you mm-hmm. syndrome, which a lot of people deal with like, Oh yeah, you know, I went into, I went into law because my parents were lawyers or I went into medicine because my parents are doctors. And then, you, you know, you wake up one day and you're like, God, I really don't like this.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: What's going on here? Yep. How, how did I get here? This is not mm-hmm. my beautiful car. This is not my beautiful house kind of thing, you know?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So, um, mm-hmm. there was, let, let's just say that that shut me down emotionally. You know, there were, there were some situations where I just didn't really know how to express myself emotionally. I didn't know how to feel. I was, my communication skills were abysmal, you know, and so I I had a hard time holding on to a relationship for any longer than a few months uh, because I just literally couldn't talk to, you know, anyone. Mm. It was really awkward time for me, you know, in my late teens and even into the early 20s until literally I started doing the Zen practice and the self-awareness started to, you know, that led to self-confidence, right? So self-awareness precedes self-management. And when you can then manage, you know, the emotional ranges and and emotional patterns that are happening, then you realize that you have the ability to take control of that and to Mm -hmm. change them. Right in a direction that is more empowering for you than and everything else is your future starts to take shape. You take take charge of your own destiny kind of thing. So I would say that up until I learned that I was really a victim of my own, you know, those patterns that were kind of rutted into me through my family and through, you know, that that culture that I grew up in. And, you know, in a sense, I just was living them out. And, And what I found is most people are in that situation. Right. Until they realize that they are actually in control and they can create their own destiny and their own future. But they've got to get become self-aware and then take control of their thoughts and their emotions mm. and then and then direct them in a pattern in a way that is pow- empowering. And, that, and that's really what I, you know, the the crux of my work post Navy SEALs is to tra- started to train other Navy SEALs how to be mentally tough SEAL trainees, you know, before they go into training, how to be super resilient and how to think you know, with the win already cemented in your mind before you step foot in the battlefield or even the training ground. And that training was so successful that the SEAL candidates that I trained have like an 80 to 90% success rate getting through the foundational SEAL training called BUDS, Basic Underwater Demolition SEAL Training. So I, as I got new, I was onto something. And so I began to train, you know, civilians and executives and entrepreneurs and, and to continue to really evolve the NBL Mind program, um, testing, you know, testing it on myself. Mm. I think it, you know, it's all ties together. Like I, I had such a, it was so painful to feel so disempowering and, and then to experience the exact opposite, to really take control and to feel the power that can come from, you know, not just going through SEAL training, but I dominated my SEAL training. I was number one, number one graduate in my class and I found it to be enjoyable and easy, relatively wow. speaking. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I, I still You know, every day was physically challenging, but it wasn't – I didn't experience the emotional and mental highs and lows that led people to quit. You know, our class had 185 students start and 19 of us finished at the end. That's pretty normal, right? That's pretty normal, yeah. Mm -hmm. So all those, you know, those 100 and whatever, 60-some-odd people – you know very very strong and very smart individuals just didn't cut it and it, and it was because of the emotional lows led to a quit moment or an injury what we call a quinjury you know most most of the injuries are not like flat out accidents they're injuries that are like Pre-planned, yeah, cure, cure, yeah curated <laughs> and pre-planned. Exactly. Yes,
0: like I'll be premeditating my injury right, for a while gonna, while you work out. It's, it's
1: subconscious, <laughs> but they're premeditating. Right?
0: Hmm. So I'm so curious because you know it you came from this disempowered background and then you become a Navy SEAL. So that's two, it's like a massive extreme. So what was the driver for wanting to go and do that? And how did you, why were you different though? I know it was the mindset, but why did you find that it was so much easier? What were you thinking? What was the mindset and how did you, um, basically keep yourself in that position during training?
1: Yes, that's great questions. And, and both, you know, need to be parsed out a little bit so that the transformation was not like an instantaneous snap your fingers and all of a sudden I've changed, you know, 180 degrees. Mm-hmm. It, it, I, and I don't think that is ever the case, right? I think the awareness of being in a disempowered state or, or awareness that you, you know, you've been living out some story and that's not your story, that can happen instantaneously. But to change the patterns of thinking the patterns of your emotionality that takes time and effort, right? It's not easy work mm-hmm. So this happened to me literally it was a, almost a three-year process Where I literally meditated every day mm-hmm. for 20 minutes and I have a process that you know I've evolved but I started with you know a breath control and then some visualization to steady my mind and to be able to focus And then I went into you know the Zen practice of counting which is a concentration practice and so that took me close to a year or if not longer than a year to really get me to where I could stabilize and sit in silence, you know, and to actually perform the deeper work of meditation, you know, of you know, what I call the insight work where I was gaining information and insights on my life and myself and my future that I couldn't possibly have gained had I not spent that year, you know training my brain to stabilize in concentration and deep turning in kind of uh, uh, what happens when you go go through a process like that. So that's what I mean. I mean, I showed up at the dojo literally every day, six days a week and meditated before our training session, meditated after, spent extra time meditating in the, the meditation room they had there. I went to, we had these retreats at the Zen Mountain Monastery, which is up in Woodstock, New York, where we would head up there and and we would spend a couple hours training karate, and then a couple hours meditating. We'd do that twice or three times a day, and I would practice on my own at home in the morning and in the evening if I had time. A lot of times I was, you know, wouldn't get back from NYU where I was going to, you know, school night school. I wouldn't get back until like eleven o'clock at night, and then I'd have to, you know, study and whatnot. So it wasn't very practical. But every morning, like clockwork, I would do my practice. And so, um, like I said, the first year was just like you know, learning how to do air squats and, you know, Mm -hmm. I'm relating it to physical training, Mm -hmm. but it was the, it was all the basics, you know, just like getting to where I could actually figure out how to meditate. And a lot of people, as you're aware, probably from your work, don't ever get through that Mm because it's hard work and their, you know, their mind just is racing. A lot of people mistake just sitting quietly watching, you know, thinking as meditation, Mm -hmm. but sitting and thinking is not meditation. (laughs) That's sitting and thinking, you know, Mm And it's valuable, right, to, to ruminate on something or to, to uh, contemplate something. That, that's certainly valuable, but it's not what I'm talking about. So, anyways, sometime about halfway through the second year of my practice, I began to get these insights. And the insights are what, like, where, where I was able to see this kind of radically different person that was locked inside of me and living out this pattern. Which was not my life, right? It it, it mm. was my life, in fact, because I was doing it. But it mm-hmm. wasn't wasn't meant to be my life. But I was there, you know. I got myself there, so I needed to get myself out of there. Mm. And so, so I think the law of contrast really worked for me. First, I looked at what I was doing and what I liked about it, and what I didn't like about it. And what I didn't like about it was most everything, right? I wasn't <laughs> wasn't motivated yeah. by money. I didn't like working in the office. I didn't really like the the culture of the people I was working around. It's not that they were bad people. They were really good people. I just didn't like that culture of money. And I didn't like the auditing culture of, you know, trying to play gotcha with a company, you know, Mm -hmm. doing something wrong. And, um, I just wasn't motivated by it. And so I was, you know, I was trying to hang my hat on some external motivators that my family and, you know, society had said were important predominantly around money and achievement and, and career progression. Mm -hmm. And through this kind of insight contrast process, I realized that when I contrasted those against what I really found valuable, they didn't measure up. And so then I had to ask myself, well, if those aren't measuring up and if I'm not motivated by those, what what does motivate me? What do I value? Wow, now we're getting somewhere, right? And so when Mm -hmm. I started to ask myself better questions, then I started to get different answers and the answers came in the silence. Again, it wasn't from thinking. It was the absence of thought where the answers came to me. And those answers were so different. And the vision that evolved from that process was so much more powerful. And it literally, I was able to see myself as a warrior, as a leader, as powerful, as, you know, courageous. Mm. Everything that I wasn't feeling or hadn't felt. And then the more I began to see that and the more I began to line up with that, the more they, it started to kind of like, you know, th- those energies started to become my energies because they were inside of me. I was just kind of allowing them to come out and allowing you know, myself to align with that energy as opposed to the disempowering energies and beliefs. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, I had to figure out how to take action. I wasn't at this time thinking I'm going to be a Navy SEAL. I was thinking I need to be a warrior and a leader. And then I didn't know how I was going to fulfill that. I started to to imagine all sorts of different scenarios, you know, that obviously we're not being a CPA, you know? (laughs) And um, one day I was walking home from, I'm not sure where I was, but I was walking home, some dark, you know, kind of corner of Manhattan, and I walked up past a Navy recruiting office, and you know, I wasn't thinking ah, I'm going to go be a Navy guy or you know, a SEAL even at the time. I didn't really know anything about the SEALs. They were kind of a new or, not they weren't a new organization, but there just wasn't much information mm. in the '80s. You know, not like today. Mm. Anyways, there was this poster hanging in the window, and the top of the poster had the words "Be Someone Special" written, mm. and then it had images of people, Navy SEALs doing these really cool things. At least I thought they were really cool. It's good marketing. Yeah, it's totally. (laughs) I love that, and I've always, Mm -hmm. you know, I think I've done, you know, I've used that term so many times. Be Mm -hmm. someone special. How, how cool, you know, how. Who doesn't want to be special (laughs) for real? And so, and then the imagery of you know people jumping out of airplanes into the night sky to do some cool mission, you know, super secret mission, and or in a hide site with a sniper rifle, you know, taking out the bad guy or locking out of a nuclear powered submarine. I mean, for. 23, Mm 24-year-old athletic, adventurous guy who had this idea that he was a warrior and a leader, all of a sudden I was like, holy cow, that's it. I just Mm -hmm. found my profession. What is that? You Mm know, the poster didn't say anything about the SEALs. It just said, be someone special. Mm -hmm. So that was it. I went, you know, the next day I went back to the recruiter's office and said, I Mm want to be whatever those guys are. Mm -hmm. And they, they laughed at me. and like, you don't want to do that. Those guys are crazy. You know, and I said, that's <laughs> like, exactly no, that's me. <laughs> that's exactly what I want. I want to be crazy. You know? mm-hmm. I'm one of them. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? I can see it. I can see myself there already. Mm. So this is a long answer to your question. So anyways, let me shift so that you can see how uh, this process of the time on the bench mm-hmm. contrasting, you know, my life against a, a possible life. And Seeing that 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 possibility actually was potential that lay inside of me Mm -hmm. and that if I I could align with that energy and then start taking Massive action toward that energy and stoking that energy that I would become that and so I I was doing that every day And when I say practicing on the bench, that's what I was doing. I was becoming a different person in my mind You know, it's like one of Sun Tzu's quotes that I love, you know, he wrote the art of war supposedly Mm. is the victorious warrior wins in his or her mind before they go to battle Mm. Before you go to battle, whereas the average person goes to war and hopes to win something loosely translated. So what I was doing was winning, you know, my future destiny in my mind, in my mind and heart, I might add, because there was also energy and emotionality around this. And then um, there were some practical skills that also helped. So what that led me when I gave me the confidence to go for the seals, it also um, allowed me to maintain a strong vision for what victory looked like when I went through training. So I was able to come back to that all the time. That set the vision piece and the emotional courage up for me so that failure was not an option for me at SEAL training. But then the um, the specific skills that I was able to use day in and day out, I call the big four skills, were so powerful for me because I I didn't come at them as concepts. I came at them as ridiculously important things to train so that I could master them and own them. And those were, uh, the first was breath control. Controlling my breath, because I learned through my martial arts training that controlling your breath leads to physiological and psychological, physiological control, stress management, and psychological balance. Mm. Um, And so that, I used to practice that every day, and it's one of the core practices that I teach in Unbeatable Mind. And then that leads to the second skill is essentially maintaining, managing, and curating a positive direction of your thinking, you know, your thinking and emotional processes, right? So that that in itself is an entire course, but, you know, I was able to, you know, create space, I should say, between my thoughts and emotions so that I could watch them and curate the positive thoughts and the positive emotions that we're going to lead to success in any situation or any interaction and discard and Keep out the negative or the disempowering Mm. What an incredibly valuable skill, Mm -hmm. right? And then the third of the big four skills is being able to always hold an image of what success looks like in your mind while you're in action Right. So this is, again, this is a a specific way that your brain is designed to work, but it won't work that way unless you train it. Right. Mm -hmm. Most people have to stop and like reflect backwards using their imagery by accessing memory and bringing up some images of the past or they'll imagine something in the future or fantasize. But they usually it's difficult for most people to do this while they're performing. Mm -hmm. Right. Because that takes up a, a significant amount of your processing power. So because I had practiced the imagery so much, it, it was always there for me to touch base with, to kind of guide me when I was in action, especially during SEAL training and then later on, you know, during any other. Wow. And then the, for, the fourth skill I call uh, task orientation or I call actually I call front sight focus, but it's a combination of selecting the right goals. I call them targets and selecting the right targets and then being able to chunk it down into the smallest task that you can then link like a, you know, like a threaded um, chain, you know, toward that goal, right? So you don't have to tackle the goal all at once, you just tackle that one, you know, that one ring, right? Or that one micro task. And so in this way, at, at BUDS, I was able to maintain great, you know, physical, control, and nice balance, right, regardless of the highs and lows and, you know, the instructors trying to, you know, really torpedo you Mentally and emotionally day in and day out and I was able to maintain that nice positive, you know Orientation with my mind able to focus on the right task at the right time for the right reason and hook all that to my Image of myself as a warrior leader, you know someone who's already accomplished What I need to to be a seal and with those skills every day you know became a process of, of navigating the challenges using those skills And just maintaining a very, very positive momentum. And that allowed me also to focus on my teammates because my, you know, I felt, okay, my stuff is kind of squared away right now, but my teammates and my boat crew guys are falling apart. So let me, let me really put some energy on them. And that gave me a lot of credibility and trust as a leader So there was kind of a spillover effect of positive energy coming back toward me. And the instructors saw that I was a good teammate and a good leader. And so they were treating me a little bit differently than some of the other guys who were they trying to get to quit. And so the whole thing became this upward spiral of positive success and quite enjoyable, actually. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, right there, I just described a model for dominating any hard situation. Mm -hmm. And if it worked for me in SEAL training, it works for anybody in any situation.
0: Oh my God. I was just, the whole time you were talking, I was thinking of how parallel everything you're saying just runs to everything in life. It's just, uh, and I loved hearing you just talk about the visualizations because that's something I I have sworn by. I've just committed my life to always, whether it's while I'm working out or uh, first thing in the morning, if I have something big coming up or if, you know, whenever I could picture myself doing something from the totally disempowering life that I had had before, it was always because I was constantly, I thought it was daydreaming, but it was truly looking back. It was visualizing, Mm -hmm. seeing myself, um, you know, in a place of more power. And that's so amazing because if someone's feeling totally disempowered right now, what would you recommend for them for visualization?
1: Well, there's a couple things. So just like concentration, visualization is a skill. Mm -hmm. I mean, you're, you're, you're bringing up an image in your mind and then you're trying to stabilize that image fill in the detail and then hold it in your mind. Right. And mm-hmm. so if you can't imagine yourself, you know, as the as the modern day Laurie, or if I couldn't imagine myself as Mark the Navy SEAL, then mm-hmm. then the image that you're going to bring up and try to stabilize is is probably still going to be disempowering. Mm-hmm. Right. So so part of this process is to use your imagination, even if you have to fake it till you make it kind of thing to see a version of yourself that's different, that's more uh, whole, let's just say. I like that term whole. That's more whole because ultimately I think that's all we're trying to do here is become the most whole and complete and integrated version of ourself possible. And, and if everyone does that, then ultimately we, you know, we begin to expose ourselves to our own greatness, our own brilliance, our own uniqueness, and everyone's got amazing potential and amazing power and uniqueness Change the world kind of stuff, but most people don't believe it because they can't see it, right? So we have this saying that if you can see it, then you can speak it and then you can believe it, right? So you have to actually practice seeing yourself in this way. And so, you know, when I teach this to my trainees and the athletes, I, I teach visualization, you know, to practice a skill, of course, right? So that's well known in sports psychology circles, you know, practice the wind, practice your pitch, practice your, you know, stroke, whatever it is. But um, the more powerful way that I teach visualization is a process that I call, you know, un- uncovering the future me, right? Future me is, you know, who is that person that's the whole me that's striving to show up in the on the world stage in a big way, and it might be 20 years from now, but it doesn't matter. It's me. It's it's still me. It's in it's in me now. That that version of me is in here, right now. But I've got to be able to. Um, I've got to work to find it. It's almost like I have to polish the mirror so I can see clearly um, who that is. And so that's really this process of concentration. Um, And then imagery, using imagery as part of your, as the focus of your concentration. So you would start by saying, okay, what, what, what do I look like in 20 years? Well, in order to say, what do I look like in 20 years? I've got to know what my body will look like. I've got to have an image of what that body looks like. I've got to have an image of what my energetic state is like. I've got to kind of have an image of what I look like as a human being. And it should be attractive and it should be powerful and it should be fit, right? Because that's your whole you, right? No matter what age, you know, you have the potential to be super fit, super healthy, you know, way beyond what our society has, um, you know, trained us to think is (laughs) common, right? Mm -hmm. Like we don't, we don't want to stick, we don't want to stay with common. We Mm want to stay, you know, look at uncommon. Like how could you be uncommonly healthy, uncommonly fit, uncommonly beautiful, uncommonly powerful? What does that look like to you? And it's going to be unique for everybody. And then what are you doing with your time? Like, how are you serving? Who are you serving? What impact are you having you know and so when i was in my 20s i had to early 20s i had to see myself as a navy seal several years in the future this is my first version of this first version of future me was i am a navy seal i i have completed training i am a warrior and i am a leader and i am successful and in order to be that way i need to be extraordinarily fit i need to be mentally tough i need to be emotionally resilient Right. I need to be tactically strong and I need to know the skills of this seal. So I began to run through what all of that would look like in my head mm-hmm. until an image of me as that was able to stabilize. And you know, I when I mean when I say stabilize, I mean you can hold that image and it's not you're not like saying, Oh, that's not me. You're mm-hmm. like, that's that's me. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. There I am. Holy cow. And then or then you practice it. So every day you come back to that image. You know, you like go back forward in time and you stabilize that image in your head and then you see yourself going through, you know, big challenges and conquering and um, and doing the deed, you know, serving and, and you just see yourself going, make, you know, showing up and making things happen. Right. So, you, again, you, you just practice being that person in a future state until you feel the energy of that future version of yourself integrate with your current version so this happened to me over about nine month period of practicing stabilizing the image and then practicing it every day in my morning training so my morning training was to sit on my little zazen bench i would breathe i would then i had some visual imagery to stabilize and concentrate then I would sit in silence, you know, and then I would bring up my image of the future me toward the end. And then I would work with it and work with it and work with it. And nine months or so into this is when I all of a sudden had this overwhelming sense of certainty kind of wash over me. And it came in, you know, a, a several day period when I was sitting on the bench and I would get up. I'm like, holy cow, you know, that's it. I now feel it, right? Mm-hmm. First, it was it, it was mental, a mental concept. It was like mentalizing, but now it was feeling into it. I could feel that I was already a Navy SEAL. I had already won that battle, mm-hmm. right? And no kidding, about a week later, the recruiter called me because I hadn't even gotten in I was trying to get into Officer Canada School with a follow-on orders to SEAL training. I hadn't even gotten in, and the recruiter was telling me, don't get your hopes up, Mark, because you're going to take two people this year from the civilian world, you know, as opposed to, like, through the Naval Academy. And, you know, it's, I just don't want you to get your hopes up, basically, oh, he was wow. saying. Mm-hmm. And, you know, a week after or so, that this feeling swept over me. He called and said, Mark, congratulations. You got one of the two billets. You mm. Cool.
0: Wow. <laughs> yeah, that's it's it's that feeling part that's really interesting because for a long time it was just images in my mind and I hear this it's funny you know now that a new podcast as well so you get to talk to some of the most amazing successful people and hear what a huge part of their life that this is to be able to feel that first and that's when you can really that that's really where the fire comes in and I feel like that's also where you can start to see actionable steps it's like where the action taker almost comes in right and that's just it, the unlocking of that can sometimes feel crazy at first. You're like, okay, well, I'm just really sitting here imagining nothing at first and you have to piece it right. together and it is practice daily, daily practice. So that makes me, um, ask you last time I talked to you, let's say you were interviewing me and mm-hmm. you were doing one of your, uh, programs, right? One of your retreats. Right. Okay. Tell me about that because I'm so curious to hear the breakdown of what people go through when they go through this training.
1: Well, we teach this in two forms. One is called, it's through my business, Seal Fit, and that's really designed for performance. And so we use these skills for performance. And, you know, the people who attend are, are athletes and warriors and even executives who just want to perform at a better level and, you know, tap into more power. So in, in that training, you know, we do what I call integrated training where we, we combine Skills and training of the um, physical, mental, emotional, intuitional, and what I call kokoro domains that everyone has. Kokoro means heart mind. Mm. Um, you could say spiritual, but that that's a watered down and confusing term for most people. And I don't want to, you know, it's not tied to any kind of religious concepts. Kokoro. The reason I chose that, we actually have a a program called Kokoro as well, which is a 50-hour nonstop training event, five zero hours modeled after the SEALs Hell Week. And it's an extraordinary event, but I call it Kokoro because people were having to tap into that feeling level when it came to intimacy and vulnerability with their teammates. And that is unusual and hard to find ways to do you know, through, without just through evolution, you know what I mean? So we, we set up conditions where people literally must rely on help and provide help to their teammates or they simply won't make it through the training. Wow. That's what I mean by Kokoro. It means heart, mind or whole mind. So the training is a, a, a iterative layering of physical, mental, emotional, intuitional and, and Kokoro training that runs through it in different forms. So we have that 50-hour crucible event. It's like a real challenge event pinnacle type challenge for a lot of people they go to the spartan races and they go to this and that but then they really want to challenge themselves they come to kokoro it's considered to be the hardest training in the world outside of the navy seals wow. and then we also have a three-day and a five-day academy which are more like a professional development uh, uh you know setting where you get to sleep at night actually and you know we do it out of a hotel and 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 this is where we download the skills and let you skip you know, let you drill and train the skills so that you can then go home and use them on your own so here this is where we teach you both the physical movements how to do proper functional fitness, but we teach you also that the body mind is not separate. Like we don't go to the gym and work the body and then just go to the classroom to work the mind. You actually work them together. Mm -hmm. That's what I mean by integrated training. So we teach you that every workout is an integrated session. Every workout you do, if you spend an hour a day training or an hour and a half a day or even 20 minutes, that's 20 minutes that you're developing your mind Mm -hmm. and your body and your intuition and your emotional self, and, your, and you're integrating that heart-mind, the like a coral. And so we teach it more, almost like, you know, like a high-level high yogi or high, you know, master martial artist like Nakamura would teach movement, right? Mm-hmm. Everything is done with proper uh, breath, you know, with great awareness on the breath, understanding how to use the breath. Every You know, those big four skills are all part of the training. Every movement, everything you do is using those skills. And then we train as a team and we don't, you know, we check our ego at the door. We were there to support our teammates and have the team win. And so there's just so much going on at those SealFit academies that they're, they tend to be real transformational. Mm. And then unbeatable mind is my other business. And this is where we kind of take the hard physical out. Cause we, we realize they're just not not everybody really wants to get their ass kicked, you know, like that. <laughs> yeah.
0: Really? So, I know. Imagine that. I know.
1: <laughs> so we, um, we approach it really more from the mental, emotional, intuitive and Kokoro side. And then we let, let you self-select your physicals. Because some people are like, well, I, my physical training is going to be yoga or mm-hmm. a martial art or – you know what I mean? I I need to lose weight first before I get into that hardcore stuff. So Mm -hmm. we're like, fine. Okay. That's important. As long as you're setting your goals and we're working toward that, you're still going to be doing it, but we're not going to be leading you through that hard stuff. Mm. So that's, that's become more of my, um, executive coaching program. We have an online training called unveil mind Academy. And, uh, we have an annual, um, summit event where we bring in experts who all have an unveil mind like you and for speaking and stuff like that. Mm. And, um, and we're developing um, an academy for unbeatable mind, which will launch next year, which is very much like what I just described with the seal fit, but without all the hard physical training and much more time working on the concentration and the visualization, the meditation and the breathing practices and all those and linking them together and, and making sure that people really understand how to use all the skills that we're talking about here.
0: Mm, I love that. So what do you think? Because so many people, uh, you know, maybe they, I find so many people that I talk to because coming from the fitness world too, they'll, they'll train, they'll work out, but they can get so stuck in so many parts of their lives. But for you and I who can see how parallel those things run and how, you know, if you're working your body, you can also be working your mind at the same time. What is something for those people who, because I know there's people right now listening to this podcast walking or running mm-hmm. or at the gym right. and wondering how, like, how they can break through mentally sure. where they are.
1: Well, let's start with you know go back to the big four. Now mm-hmm. We, I'm going to talk about this in the context of a uh, a program we just launched at SealFit because it might be useful for mm-hmm. some like of your that. listeners. We call it SealFit Bootcamp. So mm-hmm. for the longest time, our training was like super hard to teach because we were teaching all sorts of crazy you know tools and techniques that the seals use. And I said, you know what? Actually, the real essence of what we're people need to learn are the mental skills, like I would just walk through those big four skills of breath, the managing your internal dialogue and your emotional states, the imagery, and then the task orientation. What task right now is the most powerful task for me to, to select that's gonna move me forward? Those are four like master skills. So with the SealFit Bootcamp and with anybody who's listening to this podcast right now, if you're walking or riding a bike or swimming or whatever it is you're doing, you, you begin to use these skills in your training to practice them. So we, what we do is before every training session, we practice box breathing. It can only, it only has to be like five rounds. And box breathing is a, a practice that I developed um, for the SEALs. And we've continued to do. I mean, it's just a very, very cool practice. It's simple, right? You're just going to control your breathing so and breathing through the nose you're gonna to inhale to a count of five then you're gonna hold your breath for a count of five you're gonna exhale for a count of five and hold your breath for a count of five and if that's too much use four count right or three even to start but you're gonna what's happening is you're slowing your breathing down and because you're breathing through your nose and you're using your diaphragm you're triggering the parasympathetic nervous system you know which is your rest and digest so you're keeping your body or putting your body in a state of homeostatic balance calm cool collected well because your brain is part of your body your brain is experiencing a slowing of its brainwave patterns dipping you know sometimes into alpha but a a nice low beta or high alpha beta and that is experienced as a calmness and quite literally a lessening of the frequency of the number and frequency of thought patterns that arise in your brain you know people call that the monkey mind so just mm-hmm. this box breathing practice is huge so we we start our training and we end our training with at least 5 rounds and longer if we have a little bit of time and i do this every morning for 20 at least 20 minutes you know to this day it's a core practice of mine mm-hmm. then right once you start moving let's say you're working you're moving into the workout and you start to meet resistance then you begin you come back to the breath and instead of doing the box breathing we do what we call the tactical breath which is just slowing everything down but maintaining a four count in four count out breath and then you activate positive internal dialogue and so i like to have certain sayings which are really empowering for me and which evoke certain imagery and certain emotional states you know like tony robbins would call his a uh, incantation i think it's very similar to that it's a like for for me when i went through seal training my positive internal dialogue was I'm feeling good I'm looking good I ought to be in Hollywood <laughs> I and, love that. and usually if you know the t- if it got really really challenging I would just uh, say to myself I got this easy day I've got this easy day and then the seals you have a kind of a spirit shout term hoo ya," which is you know I'm trying to turn that into an everyday word so I would say easy day I got this hoo ya. I got this easy day hoo ya." And hoo means like throw your spirit into it, Mark. Wow. So there now I've combined two of the big four skills, breath control and positive internal dialogue, which then engaged my emotional state. And then the third skill is the image. You know, what image do you want to, are you working toward? Why not check in with that before the workout and after the workout, like re-engage it after the workout? What's the image of you as a fit smart, you know, whole-minded, engaged person serving the world boldly, right? Mm. Check in with that image. And if you have to, in the middle of the workout where the going gets really tough, just come back to that image and just remember why you're doing it, you know? It really doesn't matter. You can embrace the suck a lot better if you remember why <laughs> it's so you're true. doing something, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's then, of so course, true. yeah, that task orientation is, hey, what's the most important thing for me to do now? Well, if I'm doing 20 kettlebell swings, that's it. Just do 20 kettlebell sings. Don't worry about anything else. Mm -hmm. Don't think about how much more work you got to do. Don't think about your grocery list. Don't think about the argument you think, you you know, whatever Mm -hmm. you had with your friend. Just do 20 kettlebell swings. So the task Mm -hmm. orientation combined with the others help keep you really present Which means you're going to be more, you're going to get more out of the training. You're going to be safer. You're not going to get injured, and you're going to feel really good because you're breathing deeply. You're talking positively to yourself. You've got an image of the win and what you look like as a whole person. You know, knocking it out of the park. And yet you're only focusing on that simple little task of 20 kettlebell swings. Then you set the kettlebell down. You go back to your breathing. Five deep breaths. Close your eyes, draw on the energy, you know, recover as best you can. and then what's my next task? Okay, maybe it's 20 push-ups. Okay, just do those 20 push-ups. Mm-hmm. So that's how that's how we use it and we teach it during our training. And it's super effective because like I said, once you master these skills, if you can if you can train yourself to use these skills in your training session, then you're turning that training session from just physical session into a physical, mental, emotional, intuitional, Kokoro session, integration. Mm -hmm. And then those skills are there for you in any other situation or setting. You know, you got a board meeting to prepare for. Boom. Use those skills. You're giving a a speech in front of 500 people. Boom. You use those skills because you've Mm -hmm. trained them.
0: Oh, wow. Yeah. You know, I think of all before I started, I'm just going to use running as an example. So before I started running, I was like, I cannot run. It's too hard. It's awful. And, you know, when I was when I was attempting to run before which I don't run all the time but I do enjoy running um it was I couldn't run because I had no energy to run I was thinking of the million other things I could or should be doing most likely should be doing I was thinking in the future and the second I start thinking that whether it's on a run or whether it's in the middle of a workout it just sucks the energy completely out of you it's like that kettlebell that Mm -hmm. might be 30 pounds turns into it feels like a hundred and you immediately want to stop and that translates into every it doesn't matter if I'm so funny. I was prepping for a talk last week and the second I would start picturing like all of the overwhelming things that go with the talk, I couldn't even write the talk. And I was like, you're just here right now. <laughs> you're just writing it or you're just doing the kettlebell swing or you're just going for a run. Like you're just observing your surroundings. And it's mm-hmm. insane how much more energy we have. I don't care who you are. It's just like you're gaining superpowers when you get focused like that. Right. Right.
1: I agree. I mean, that's that's all we have is the present, and we spend everyone spends most of their time in the past or the future, and the past and the future are, are disempowering in the mm-hmm. sense that you're never going to have as much energy in one of those states than you have in the present, right? So, in my training on Vuel Mind, we we teach people how to uh, disengage from any regrets or or negative emotional shadow self stuff from the past mm-hmm. to free to free up that energy. And then to use your mind in a future state to create this powerful image of who you are, who's your you know ideal self, and what are you going to do about it? So essentially what now you're doing, because again, remember, all we have is the present is now you're creating a memory mm-hmm. of the future, mm-hmm. right? So you're mm-hmm. creating a, mem- a memory of the future that hasn't happen, ha- happened yet, but because you have a memory of it, it draws you like an attractive force toward it. And then you've severed the attractive force of the negative energy in your past, right? So it doesn't keep pulling you backward. So now when you can sever the energy of the past, negative regrets, negative stuff, and you have that attractor force for the future, then it it literally starts to propel you, pulling you toward the future. And it's uh, super powerful that way.
0: Wow, I love that. I have never heard that before, creating a, a positive memory for the future. It's the exact same thing as keep on visiting that thing in the past that's disempowering you, but creating an empowered. That's amazing. I love it. We have to do a quote tile on it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so what are you most excited about right now?
1: I am super stoked. Like we, we have so much. Change going on. It's like everyone's feeling like a lot of change in the world and mm-hmm. and um, and we, we live in this incredible area Encinitas like I am so excited to be here to be part of the you know Part of the um, movement to help people see that we have an unbelievable opportunity in our lives to just You know be awesome right I, and I'm, I don't mean that to sound silly but I mean like there's so much negativity and so much fear around what world events that everyone's getting paralyzed. And like Las Vegas is a good example, like crazy shit happening. Yeah. But what I want to teach people is that that does, you don't have to let that stuff, you know, hold you back or or stall you or make you negative. Like mm-hmm. you literally, you know, resiliency, I was talking about this today with some folks, resiliency has like three levels to it. One is, the developing resilience in your life so that whatever little unfortunate event or whatever event happens, you know, you literally use it to propel you to greater, uh, toughness to, to, you know, to, you know, you like as iron forges steel, you use it to, you know, harden your resolve and to create more momentum in your life. And so you embrace those obstacles. That's what I mean by embrace the suck. They're going to be there. Mm -hmm. So a resilient person uses those obstacles to propel themselves forward and they never look back. The second level is what happens if you have an event or you witness an event like Las Vegas or, you know, you see it in the news and are going to happen every single day. You know, mm-hmm. every day we can obsess about the next latest crisis, whether it's environmental or nuclear weapons or a terrorist attack or a mass shooter. I mean, they're going to happen all the time. And and so the point there is, you know, not to deny it's happening but to set yourself up to learn the skills of awareness and to be, you know, strong so that you can protect yourself and your family and um, and you can avoid situations, you know, because, again, we create our own reality day in and day out. And, you know, there are certain skills that you can develop that will pretty much ensure that you're never in a situation like that. Mm-hmm. Now, the third level is having said all of that, if you're mastered the first and the second level, shit does happen still. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. You can't. I can't. I'd be silly to, th- to say that you know my training is going to prevent you from you know getting injured in the future or in some you know having being participant in some crazy event because shit happens right that mm-hmm. we just can't can't control because there's this collective co-creation of the chaos around us mm-hmm. and we can only take charge of our little piece of it right we can create our heaven on earth but we can't prevent the masses from creating hell on earth and we intersect with that you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. So then the question is, how are you going to bounce back from that? And if you have a really traumatic incident, are you going to let it define your life for the rest of your life and be a victim to your victimhood? Or or are you going to be able to redefine your life very quickly and move on? And so this is, you know, like the people that you and I have interviewed who, you know, like my friend Kyle Maynard, who was born with no arms and legs, or, you know, um, some some other people who have lost their mobility are in wheelchairs or lost their eyesight or you know some of my vet friends who have lost limbs and they have picked themselves up dusted themselves off and um, learned how to move on positively Mm -hmm. and so that's one of the things I'm working on is trying to figure out how to help vets and other people who are really struggling to find that unbeatable mind again and just move on and and to have an impact right because it's really not I mean, we, we always have value and we always have a gift to give no matter what happens to us in the world, right, as long as we're here. Mm-hmm. So anyways, that was a long-winded answer. I'm, I'm excited about the work that I do and the work that the Unbeatable Mind and the SealFit Tribe are doing and about the future because I feel like, you know, we're really just getting warmed up and the world needs what we all have to offer, including yourself. Mm-hmm. And it's just a real honor to be part of that and to be able to help people, mm-hmm. you know, get stronger.
0: Mm, beautiful. See, Mark, I love the rabbit holes. So we should really look <laughs> into like three hour podcasting. <laughs> no
1: kidding. That's a good point. I think we'd lose people after about three. <laughs> I know.
0: be like, what are you talking about? We're still in it. <laughs> well, I could talk to you all day, but where can we find you? Where can we follow you? And I know you have an amazing podcast that I got to be on. So let's tell people about thanks. that too.
1: Well, thanks. We'll start there. So that's the um, Unbeatable Mind podcast and it's available on iTunes and. Google Play or Stitcher, or all those different places. I mean, we just hit three and a half million downloads and we're only Woo! like we're only like 95 episodes in. So that's pretty exciting. That's amazing. Yeah. And then um, unbeatablemind.com, all one word, unbeatablemind.com, I- M-I-N-D. That's where we have our executive coaching program and the online course called the Unbeatable Mind Academy, which is super cool. We've had like maybe 10,000 people go through that course. Mm. Uh, I developed in 2011, so that's pretty cool. And um, my book, Unveiled Mind, is available at Amazon and and wherever books are sold. That's my self-published book, my favorite. And then also The Way of the Seal is another book. I wrote that with Reader's Digest. Mm. That's really for leaders. And um, that's a pretty cool place to start as well. And then if someone really loves the physical side, then sealfit.com, tons of great content, video and blog posts and I mean you could spend a year just pouring through all the content there and you can learn about our events there at uh, sealfit.com all one word s e a l f i t.com. Mm-hmm. And of course we have Facebook and Twitter and all that but mm-hmm. um, just go down that rabbit hole, in one of those <laughs> one of those <laughs> notes and you'll find anything more information than what you're, you're ever looking want. for. <laughs> yeah. You'll know uh, more than you ever wanted to
0: know well I absolutely want to come to one of your events one day and I'm super scared and very excited which is exactly why why I want to go right so uh thank you so much Mark. I just want to acknowledge your work in the world and all that you do you are such a student and a teacher and for all that you've accomplished and all that you do you are one of the most approachable down-to-earth loving warm genuine people so thank you for that
1: that's awesome. Thank you so much, Laurie. I really appreciate your time today.
0: Mm, I have one last question for you. Are you ready? Uh huh. Okay. Ready. So you have 30 seconds in an elevator with someone really, really fast. They look over at you. It's a total stranger. And they say, how can I make myself happy? What do you say?
1: <laughs> Begin to breathe deeply through your nose and to control your breath by holding it for four or five seconds at the top and the bottom of every breath. And just do that for 30 days and then come back and talk to me.
0: Wow. Amazing. Thank you so much. And you guys, if you love this episode as much as I did, make sure you share it with your friends. And until next time, earn your happy. Bye, everyone. more of. It would really help us out on our journey to helping thousands and thousands of people. Until then, don't forget to earn your happy. Thanks again, guys. Bye-bye.